So a little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap one night as he was reading her bedtime story. And he noticed that after a little while, she took her face off of the book and started to look up at her grandfather's face. And after studying his face, uh, you know, really, really well, she reached out with her hands and she started feeling his cheeks and then moved down to his chin. And she kept on exploring more and more. And then she took her hands off of his face and put them on her own face and started feeling around and then would go back to grandpa's face and then back to hers. And after a little while, she looked at her grandfather and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? And he said, well, yeah, God made me. It's been a while, but he made me a long time ago. She thought for a moment and said, well, Grandpa, did God make me too? And he said, yeah, but not quite as long ago as, as me. So she begins feeling her face a little bit more, and then she says, Grandpa, God's getting really better at this, isn't he? <laughs> well, good morning. If you're a guest with us, that's as good as the jokes get. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Stick around. You'll, you'll learn that about me. Uh, we are wrapping up our series this morning called Bring Your Own God, where we've been exploring over the last few weeks how we have this tendency to bring in our ideas and conceptions, sometimes our misconceptions, about who God is, what he's like, what his character is like, what his nature is like, um, how we interact with him. And, and so we've been exploring some of these things that, uh, that we use to inform who God is. And so we've talked about things like uh, a God who is um, the Sunday morning only God, that God only cares about what you do on Sunday mornings. Uh, and then the rest of the week, you know, he's just all about keeping the rules and making sure that um, that you are clean and straight, when in fact, God has just so much more for us than just keeping rules. It's about being in this relationship with a Father who loves us and who pursues our, our heart. Uh, we've talked about a God who is a disciplinarian God, and this understanding that so many people bring into Him as, as just like waiting for us to step out of line where He can hammer us back in place. We talked about a helicopter God who is controlling every action and move that we, that we take. And today we are continuing this because we, we want to make sure that we have a, a good and proper understanding of God, because a good and proper understanding of God is going to inform everything else about how we interact with Him. You know, what we believe and what we think about his character and his nature, it's important because it's really going to inform how we approach God as our heavenly father. And so we want to have a proper understanding of who God is and what he is like. A.W. Tozer put it like this, that what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that that's true. What you believe about God is foundational to how you approach life. It, it determines the lenses through which you look at the world. And so this is a big deal. and We want to make sure that we're looking through proper prescriptions. And fortunately, Scripture helps us do that. Helps us get an understanding of who God is and what he's like. So let's turn in our Bibles, if you have one with you, if you have a Bible app that you like to use on your device, you can turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, it's right towards the end of your Bible. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Revelation, you're at the end, so back up just a little bit to the left. Titus chapter 2, it's after the Timothy books. 
So as we've been looking at these different misconceptions uh, about God, if you missed any of them, you can go back to our website and catch up on that. But today we want to turn our attention to this idea of a grandpa God, a grandpa God. That God is just this old man with a long beard, a white flowing robe, sitting up in the clouds. And this idea of God has certainly been perpetuated in the, in the media. How many of you guys remember Gary Larson's uh, Far Side cartoons? I used to, I loved those cartoons, love them. Uh, some, some people even still continue to post them on their Facebook page regularly. So we get to enjoy them. Thank you, Alan Burris. I appreciate that, man. I, I remember like one of my favorite Christmas gifts that my grandma Horton would get me every year was the Far Side calendar, where every day it was a new, new cartoon. I love peeling that thing off. So here, Gary Larson um, was, was kind of famous for characterizing God in this way as that old man with the white robe sitting on the clouds. Here are a couple of my, my favorite ones. There's God taking clay saying, boy, these things are a cinch as he's making snakes Oh, come on. I thought that was funny. Maybe. <laughs> I told you they didn't get any better than that first one. Uh, or, or this one. Uh, God's making all these ingredients to make the earth. And then he says, and just to make it interesting, and he's adding jerks <laughs> to, to the earth. <laughs> but in all of these, you know, God's this old man in white robe, big, big beard. And of course, Larson wasn't the first person to depict God in this way. Michelangelo's painting of God in the, in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel has him looking kind of grandfatherly. Artists throughout history have characterized God in this way. And it makes sense because, I mean, God has been around for a long time, right? And so if you're trying to depict what he might look like, then that's the image a lot of people are going to go for. And when Daniel had a vision of God, this is what he writes. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool. Now, never mind that Daniel was writing here poetically. Whenever you describe someone as the Ancient of Days, the image that's going to come to most of our minds is not the spring chicken, right? If he's an ancient of days, there's some age there. The, the white hair, that's a sign of wisdom. It's not just his looks either. God's actions and attitudes are described as being grandfatherly. The prophet Jeremiah said long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. This sounds like grandfatherly love. I've talked to so many people who said, man, it's great having kids. But there's nothing that beats having grandkids. Nothing that beats the, the, the love that you feel as, as a grandparent. And several of you have told me that there's nothing that's brought you more joy in your life than having grandkids. And many of you, you know that feeling well, whether because you are a grandparent yourself or maybe uh, you were fortunate enough to be the object of a grandparent's affection. My grandpa Green was a pretty amazing man. After he fought in World War II, he came back home, uh, bought several hundred acres of, of land in between Worthington and Jasonville, farmed it all of his life, built a house on it that my grandma Green still lives in today, and raised, raised his family there on that little farmstead. 
And I, I loved going to Grandma and Grandpa's as I was growing up. I grew up in a little town on the north side of Indianapolis called Cicero. And even though it's starting to get out of the city, it's still a little bit, uh, you know, it's kind of rural, but it's kind of urban. It's, it's right there in between that, one of those transition towns going into the country. And, and it was so much fun, though, leaving that wasn't really the city, but leaving town and, and going down, spending some time on the farm, because farm life was so much different. And when we got to grandma and grandpa's, we got to do stuff that we would never be able to do at home. Uh, one of my favorite things is when I was seven years old, we went down there. Wow, this just hit me. When I was the same age as my oldest daughter, Adeline, grandpa, for some reason, thought it'd be a good idea to buy a three-wheeler and let me start riding around the farm on it. And one, three-wheelers are not a good idea to begin with. <laughs> That's why they only make four-wheelers now. And then two, a uh, seven-year-old had no business driving around on that thing, but he put it in first gear for me and let me go all around the farm, and, and I had a blast driving that thing even as I grew up. Even today, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, it still runs. 1987, it still, still runs. When we got to go to, to Grandma and Grandpa's, uh, Grandpa would uh, sit me on the tractor and say, let's go check the fields. And so I'd sit on his lap, and he'd let me pull on the throttle. He'd let me put my hands on the steering wheel and pretend like I was driving. Sometimes he'd let me sit up on the wheel well of the old International that he had. And, and I always felt like I was getting away with something that I shouldn't be doing when I sat on the wheel well. Like, oh, Mom and Dad would never let me do this, but Grandpa, Grandpa would. I remember one summer when I was staying with them, through the week. I just turned 13 years old, and my grandpa and I were in the shed kind of toying around with some stuff. And he looked at me, and he said, let's go for a drive. Let's go check the, check the fields. And I was like, all right. And next thing I knew, he took his keys out of his pocket, and he threw them to me, and he said, you drive. I was like, all right, let's do this. I mean, as a 13-year-old boy, this was like the greatest day of my life. And so I hopped up on the driver's side. Grandpa got in the passenger side, buckled up, <laughs> and said, let's go explore some country roads. And so my grandpa, at 13 years old, taught me how to, to drive. I have fond memories of driving around this Chevy 1500. It's green with a silver stripe through the middle. And grandpa teaching me how to not ride the brake, <laughs> how to steer without overcorrecting. There were very few restrictions growing up when I went to visit grandma and grandpa's house. I'd wake up when I want to, play all day on the farm, go to bed whenever I want to, What's best, I think, is that Grandma and Grandpa had two large deep freezers in the basement, and one of them was always well-stocked with ice cream of all varieties, and Grandpa and I would oftentimes end the day eating ice cream, sitting around the table, talking about life. But it's funny, whenever I would go home after a week of spending time at Grandma and Grandpa's, I'd always have to detox. <laughs> If you've had kids that have spent time with grandparents, maybe you know. Um, if you're a grandparent yourself, maybe that's your goal <laughs> by the time the grandkids leave, uh, to have them all hopped up on sugar and send them back to the parents as they, as they go. You know, because there were things that I could do at grandma and grandpa's that I would never get away with it at home. And, and I think that's kind of the point. Like a parent's job is to raise their kids. A grandparent's job is to spoil their kids. And my grandparents did their job well. And sometimes I'd tell my dad what I did with grandpa and he'd say, man, he would never let me do that when I was your age. So I have all of these fond memories about my grandpa. And, and for a lot of people, myself included at times, we, we bring this grandfatherly image 
into our understanding of who God is and what he's like. And we come away with this perception of God that he's this benevolent grandfather who gives us everything that we want and approves of everything that we do. But don't miss this. While God is certainly loving and kind to everyone, he has given us boundaries in life that not only protect us from the pain of brokenness, but also provides the best life that we can live now. God has given us these boundaries to protect us and to provide for us. And this is important because we need to understand that God doesn't wink at our sin like a, a grandfather who pats a mischievous head, a child on his head and, and lets them get away with whatever they want. God is loving and kind, but he takes our holiness seriously. We can't miss this in our understanding of God. God takes our holiness seriously. And so should we. Look at what Paul writes in our passage today. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. You can follow along up on the screen as well. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I don't think that there are any scriptures and passages that do a better job of explaining what a God-centered, gospel-centered life looks like, what a holy life looks like, better than these, these five verses. And, and what Paul says right from, from the beginning here is that the grace of God teaches us. God's grace teaches us. Literally, and, and if you have another translation, like the English Standard Version that you're, that you're reading, you'll see that it says God's grace, it trains us. It trains us. The idea here is like a parent training a child. You know, as parents, our, our, our parents are, are raising us, and sometimes they'll say no to things because, because they're guiding us and directing us in the right path. So God's grace is training us like a parent trains a child. And in training, sometimes there are things that are unpleasant, but that are beneficial to us over time. And so God's grace is similar. It's also important to note that, that this verb, um, when, you, when you get into the Greek and start diving in, this verb is in the present active tense, which, pff, right? Like, that's amazing, isn't it? No, here's what that means. <laughs> In the present active voice, what it means is that this training is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. It, it, it never comes to this, this place of completion, this side of, of heaven, meaning that we are all a work in progress. Every single one of us are a work in progress. God's grace is never done teaching us. His grace is never done training us. It's always raising us and teaching us what is right. We are constantly partnering with God in our development of a more holy life, a life that is more set apart and surrendered to the Lord. And so there's a few things that Paul outlines here that, that God's grace is doing to train us. And the first thing is this, it's, it's training us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. 
It's, it's training us to say no to just the, the whims and the desires of our flesh that maybe go against the, the Lord and his desire for us. Those, those ways that he's provided and protected us and, and those boundaries that he's put around us for the best life. And so it's teaching us to say no to sexual desires that maybe sacrifice our purity and, and eat away at our heart. It's teaching us to say no to financial desires that maybe sacrifice our integrity to where we're willing to make an adjustment on a business deal so that we come out looking better. Or we're willing to hide some money here or there to protect ourselves and our financial interest. God's grace is teaching us to say no to these things and to pursue a life of holiness where our passion is Him. And there are times when saying no calls us to repentance. Maybe there's something ungodly in our lives that we've been saying yes to and we need to say no to. We need to turn from as grace trains you to draw near to the Lord. One of the fruits of the Spirit, Connie mentioned earlier, is self-control. And if the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, one of the evidence is self-control in the face of temptation and evil desires. But, but man, what I am so grateful for in my own life is that all of those times when I have said, I've said yes to those things in life that led me down the wrong path, that God's grace was right there to meet me is right there to forgive me, to wrap his arms around me and to say that I am still his beloved child and he carries me back to the right path. So there's grace for us when we say yes to ungodliness and that grace not just forgives us, but then it begins to train us to say no to it. But it's not just to say no. God's grace also teaches us to say yes to godliness. It's not just about what God calls us away from, it's also what God calls us to. And what he calls us to is to live upright and godly lives in this present age, this present age that is filled with challenges. This present age where living upright, godly lives may seem impossible, or it seems like everything is working against us. So often we feel like maybe a, a fish trying to swim upstream in this culture. It's teaching us to say yes to that. Saying yes to godliness means that we are people who, who are not only doing good, but, but as he says in verse 14, we are eager to do what is good. We are looking for new and creative ways to do good for others. To take this grace that we have received and not just to hold on to it for ourselves, but to say, man, what can I do to begin to reach other people and serve people in my community more? Someone in our, in our church that is doing this so well is Tina Kern. Uh, man, I love the, the work that Tina is doing with our men's warming center. Uh, the men's warming center is going to be opening back up in uh, November. I think the goal is to go through April. Is that right? Uh, which is going to be the longest that it's ever been open. And last year, Sherwood Oaks Bedford came along and we provided the meal and volunteers every single Thursday night that the shelter was open last year. Uh, we were able to provide enough volunteers to keep it open a couple of days during the Arctic um, storm or whatever that was called that came through when temperatures dropped to like negative 30 below. Uh, our church really pulled together our resources, both financial and people, to, to make this happen. And, and we want to continue that drive with the Men's Warming Center. Most of these guys um, are 
you know, some of them have, are in this predicament because of decisions that they've made. Some of them are in this because of decisions that were out of their control. And they just need a hand up. And as a church, we want to be good news to them. We want to show God's grace to them uh, by giving them that hand up. And so we're going to continue to provide uh, the Men's Warming Center with volunteers again this year. You'll hear more about how to get involved in that uh, in the coming, coming month. Um, but we encourage you to sign up for the spaghetti dinner that they're doing on September 28th as a fundraiser uh, to, to raise funds to, to be able to um, open it up for those six months. Um, but there's also a couple of other ways. We're going to be talking about um, providing some goods that we can donate, some paper plates. We want to provide, uh, Tina was saying this morning, 11,000 paper plates uh, to the Men's Warming Center uh, so that they have uh, stuff that they can eat on. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks as well. But right now, they're starting to do some upkeep on the, on the warming center. And so there's some bigger projects like building some walls and doing a little bit of plumbing work. But then there's also just some really simple, uh, just things that they need done uh, to get ready for November. And so if you're handy, even in the least bit, and you'd be interested in serving at the Men's Warming Center, uh, Tina Kern is going to be out at our welcome desk after service, and I know that she would love to take down your name and number and get you connected uh, to be able to serve in this way, just to offer a little bit of your time and your ability uh, to get this up and going so that we'll be ready to host men uh, beginning in, in November. And it's such a, an, an easy way for us just to step out and, and to say, man, this is what God's grace is calling me to say yes to, to live beyond myself to live for others, that God's grace is not just for me to take and absorb and to, to kind of rest and, and relax in, but man, God's grace is, is teaching me and it's training me to say yes to living a more godly life out that is serving others as Jesus served us. So God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say yes to living like Jesus, but it also is training us to wait with hope. God's grace is training us to wait with hope. And we live in a world where a lot of people feel, maybe even you feel this at times, we feel like God's just forgotten us. That in his age, as he's gotten up there a little bit, he's become a little senile and he's just forgotten about us down here on, on earth. I'm telling you, God has not forgotten about you. Even though it sometimes feels like it through shootings and through sickness and diseases and death. There are so many things in this life that make us just want to cry out loud, God, it's not supposed to be this way. And God would say, you're right, it's not. But we have hope that one day when the time is right, Jesus will come to rescue us once and for all those that he came to redeem. This is the hope that we hang on to, that this world is not as it should be. And there are things that cause so much pain and heartache, but we have a hope that this world is not it. This world is not our home. For those who have been redeemed through Jesus, we have hope in a life to come that we can hang on to when this life doesn't make sense. Last time I said goodbye to my grandfather before he had a, a massive stroke. Uh, I was leaving the house, there was a long walkway and grandpa was standing up there on the porch and I just looked back and said, bye grandpa. 
And he said, Sean, we're Christians. If you don't know my story, my grandfather and my grandmother played a key role in my faith development. And Grandpa hollered back at me, Sean, we're Christians. We don't say goodbye. So how about see you later? (laughs) See you later. And man, we wait with hope and expectation that, that we will one day see God face to face and that all the pain and suffering and heartache that we carry on this world will just be washed away. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it wasn't, hey, goodbye, good luck, I'm out of here. It was, I'll see you later. And in the meantime, he has equipped us with his Holy Spirit to give us everything that we need to live this godly life that he calls us to. And so God is not this permissive God that says yes to everything. He's not out of touch with the real world and our real lives, nor is he senile like so many images our culture wants to paint him to be. God is certainly loving and kind, but he has given us boundaries to live our life within, to provide for us and to protect us from the brokenness in this world and to provide the best possible life that we can live. And because of that, God takes our holiness and our sin seriously. He expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because of sin. He flooded the world because of sin. He vaporized Sodom and Gomorrah because of sin. But he also sent his one and only son to die a cruel death on a cross for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could turn, we could be redeemed, and we could have the hope of heaven. So if you're here this morning and you've been saying yes to all the wrong things, I want you to know that this morning there's grace available for you. There's grace in the Lord that wants to welcome you home. No one is too far gone for the grace of God to bring them home. There's grace for us to go out and to live a godly life that's making a difference in our community and for God's kingdom. And there's grace for us that is teaching us to wait with eagerness the hope that we have that one day we will spend eternity with the Lord.